0: This is Clutch Fans. Oh, from the parking lot. The Rockets are going to Boston House. Sweet it is! And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards.
1: Houston Rockets is unbeatable.
0: I'm ready to get on Clutch fans. Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty.
1: We have a series. Uh, the Houston Rockets get a big win, a Game 2 win. We are here at the Toyota Center uh, after the Houston Rockets won Game 2, 115-109. to 109. I'm here with M.K. Bauer of Sports Exchange. M.K., thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Dave. And uh, this was a crazy game. I mean, I, I've never seen uh, a game where so many uh, stories, so many uh, fan tales or, or things that we just ran with uh, happened and then Boom! They would come back and slap you in the face. It was
0: interesting watching both teams have a double-digit lead at one point in the game. The Rockets actually twice, if not mistaken, in the first half, and then again in the fourth quarter, and had to hold on to dear life. I don't know if it's 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 a bad omen for Houston that they. It was a bump and grind affair in a lot of ways and they had to really struggle to finish off the Clippers to win this game and the Clippers didn't really play that well in the second half. Again, they didn't have Chris Paul. I don't know if it bodes well for them long term, um, in the series if the Clippers get get Paul back and and I think LA has developed a lot of confidence offensively based on how they played the second half in game one. And then in the first half tonight. And, and yeah, the Rockets found a way to kind of adjust something in terms of how they defended Blake Griffin. But I just think by and large, they need to do something that kind of signals that they're as good of a team and I don't know if I've seen that thus far in these first two games yeah they won tonight but they won tonight in a very grueling fashion not in the same manner that the Clippers won game one so that's the one thing I'm kind of looking forward to seeing happen in game three
1: yeah there were a lot of misleading things in this game the first quarter of the Rockets jump out all over the Clippers 35-24 but a lot of that was because they got they were able to get DeAndre Jordan in early foul trouble Uh, Dwight just went bananas, scored 10 points, uh, grabbed seven boards in the quarter. Harden goes for nine and four. Uh, Things just look fantastic at that point. They're up 35 24. And I mean, immediately in the second quarter, the wheels come off. The Clippers run out to a 21 4 edge right out of the gate in the second quarter. The the lead's completely wiped out. Just a few of the numbers in that quarter 16 of 21 from the field. The Clippers, they shoot over 76%, 4 of 7 from three post 41 points in the quarter. the Most the Rockets have given up in any quarter at any point this year. Uh, it was a disaster. You could hear some boos in, in the second quarter here in, in the Toyota Center. It felt
0: like fool's goal, that lead early, because the minute, as you referenced, the minute Jordan went out, the Rockets went bananas. And, and Jordan's been a, a really strong defensive presence in his series through two games. And again, you know, the minute he's clear of defending the rim, it opens the door for the Rockets to be very aggressive in terms of them attacking the rim. And I thought they did a much better job of that tonight the minute that Jordan left the the game but they have to find a way to be more efficient scoring the basketball when he's in there and it was interesting someone asked Doc Rivers' post game in terms of why Jordan only played 25 minutes and clearly Jordan's foul troubles had a little bit to do with that the fact that the Rockets went small for a long stretch of time in the second half played a role in that but I think by and large he would like to look back at that and say I got to have that big man in there more often and we find ways to adjust what the Rockets are doing with their smaller lineups and not hamstring ourselves by not having our best defensive player in there because he clearly makes a significant difference that second quarter was I mean Blake Griffin was awesome the entire first half but that second quarter, he was just so dynamic in terms of scoring hook shots, driving layups, pick-and-pop jumpers. I mean, he just emptied the whole kitchen sink on the floor, and the Rockets had nothing in store for dealing with him. And It's terrifying looking forward because that's two games in a row now where he's been clearly the best player on the court. And the Rockets, they made an adjustment in the third quarter while will obviously get into that. But I think, to an extent, the Lakers, the Clippers played their way out of the game, not necessarily, you know, cowered in terms of what the Rockets were doing defensively.
1: It was almost like LaMarcus Aldridge-esque. I mean, they had no answer for him. You're like, this guy is just going nuts. I mean, I was to the point where I thought they could put in Dirk Nowitzki right now, the Rockets, and improve their defense at the four. It was that bad. Uh, and, you know, he was getting single covered. Terrence Jones was getting, you know, lit up, I thought. Uh, which he was just one of five from the field in that in that first half uh, had two points. Uh, things were looking pretty ugly. Uh, and before we talk about the adjustments on Blake in the second half, I want to talk a little bit about Harden because he was such a story in this game, uh, both the good and the bad. You know, he he didn't really have a very good first half. I think he was three of eight from the field, five turnovers. Comes out in the third quarter, picks up two quick fouls. At the time, I thought this was almost Rondo-esque. I'm not.
0: You, you, you're reading my mind. I was say yeah. the same thing.
1: You know, I was thought to myself, "Wow, he's got four fouls," and and it it honestly felt a little bit like, is he just mailing it in? Like, is he just tired? I'm like, I, I'm frustrated, and and I was wondering that. I had those questions about Harden at that point. It's a minute and a half into the third quarter. He he comes out with four fouls. He's three of nine from the field. Six turnovers. Has uh, 12 points in 21 minutes. And right after he leaves, Blake Griffin scores. Clippers get their largest lead at 13 points. Your thoughts at that point?
0: Here's going to be the first time tonight where I spit into the wind. And and I recognize that there's going to be a contingent of fandom that doesn't care what I'm about to say or believe what I'm about to say. And they've made their opinion on Kevin McHale, and it's cemented. But I thought what Mikhail did in that spot, and he spoke about it after the game, was as smart of a coaching move as he's made in a long time in terms of recognizing what was going on with James Harden in that moment. And he said, yes. there are times I've played him with four fouls and haven't thought twice about it. And he said, tonight I felt like something was different. James needed to calm down. And he felt like James was over of coming out of the, out of the intermission. And that the minute he pulled James out of the game, after he picked up his fourth foul, James was in his ear, let me play, let me play. And he basically said, no, you know, go have a seat. They said, eventually, James got a drink, had a seat, relaxed. And that was a deciding moment in my mind in terms of how James came back out with 207 left in the third quarter, played the last 10, yeah. I'm sorry, 1407 of the game. Yeah. And was a completely different player. I, th- I think McHale deserves credit for that. In terms of how he handled hard in that spot with everything that's kind of going on, understanding they can't afford to lose this game, having to worry about defensive adjustments and offensive you know, moves and all this stuff, and he just kind of zeroed in on his best player and said, chill. And I thought it was, it was a fantastic move that he made. It paid immediate dividends. And for whatever reason, James kind of refocused himself and scored 20 points in the last 14 minutes of the game and was a decidedly better player in that stretch. And the Rockets absolutely needed him to be that player.
1: Absolutely. I think he hit, during uh, that stretch, 4 of 8 from the field, was 10 of 10 at the line, 15 of 15 at the line on the night. And I think it uh, set, set a franchise record, playoff franchise record, for the most uh, makes without a miss. Yeah, it was fantastic to see because in that, you know, eight-minute of the game stretch where he was out, I mean, we saw this on Twitter. We saw this on the on the Clutch fans' forums. He was getting tattooed, blasted. Everybody was running with the, this is what playoff Harden looks like, and for him to rebound like this is is a bit of a redemption for him. And this is where I spit win the win a second time
0: because <laughs> I understand people have made up their mind about James Harden And they're going to ignore what he did against Dallas. They're going to ignore what he did against the Spurs when he was still with the Thunder. And they're going to focus all their attention on his performance in the finals that year against the Heat and his first two playoff series here at the Rockets and say that's who he is as a postseason performer and toss everything else out. And it amazes me. I realize that that we're all kind of slaves to social media and we, we read things in real time and people are frustrated. They overreact to every little thing and if he has a bad half or a bad game and a half in a seven game series, this is a pronouncement of who he is. This is a declaration yeah. of him being a, a shrinking violent, a guy who does not step up and play well in the postseason. And It was interesting hearing people make you know declarations that he did not have a good postseason series against Dallas, which is obviously absurd, that he needed to be superhuman to prove himself to fans against the Mavericks, and he was only very, very good, which is not good enough. I mean, these things are outstanding to me in terms of how, how warped the fan perspective is, but I get it. Look at LeBron James. Absolutely. It's like him winning championship for people to all of a sudden recognize he's a really great player yeah. because they, they forgot he scored 25 points in the fourth quarter against the Pistons in a playoff series. Yeah. You know, it's, it's weird that the things we pick and choose to remember. And I get that Harden's going to have to deal with this until the Rockets really have great postseason success. He saved himself tonight by playing as well as he did the last two minutes of third and the entire fourth quarter. But people don't want to accept that. They're not going to believe it. And they're going to wait for him to play poorly again at some point again in this series and go back to what they've, what they've believed all along a he's not opposed po- to He's a performer.
1: You know, I think that's a great point you make about uh, what McHale did for for Harden there, holding him out when, you know, he, he could have just easily put him right back in. and probably would have been a mistake. But there was another adjustment that Kale made in the second half. The defense picked up. I, I, kudos to that lineup when Harden was out, which was Jones, Howard, uh, Brewer, and Ariza together and I believe Terry. Um, they you know, were able to whittle that lead down to seven when Harden, excuse me, that deficit down to seven when Harden came back into the game. Um, but the defense picked up. They made adjustments on Blake Griffin. Like you said, he went bananas in the first half. They limited him in the second half. What did you see as far as uh, the changes Mikael made on Blake Griffin?
0: Going with Howard initially on, on Griffin I thought was very smart. And then going small with a reason fronting him and having help commit, immediately come from behind. That was one moment where Brewer snuck in the minute the entry pass came in over the top of Areza, Griffin made the catch. Brewer came from the backside and tied the ball up. And those sort of things kind of frustrated Griffin in that spot. And it was interesting hearing both Griffin and Doc Rivers address this postgame. Clearly, this isn't anything new. They've seen people do these sort of things before to then go small, try to find a way to eliminate DeAndre Jordan from the game. And the Clippers have done a better job of dealing with it and adjusting. They just didn't do a very good job tonight. And you made the reference to this on Monday night, that they weren't going to shoot as well as they did in game one in Game 2 at some point. And the shooting was a little bit lax tonight. I thought some of the passing out of the double teams wasn't very good. And, and Doc said, you know, look, we just weren't as trusting tonight as we were in Game 1. And that was critical. There were moments in time was where um, Griffin didn't move the ball very effectively. He only had, what, four assists. I think other guys just kind of got stagnant in terms of You know the ball getting sticky offensively, and that enabled the Rockets to keep riding with what they were doing. But Dwight Howard deserves credit for that, particularly with the four fouls from the 7:22 moment in the third quarter on Trevor Ariza, even James Harden uh, on a couple of cases. They threw a lot of different bodies at Blake Griffin and just made him very, very uncomfortable in the second half. Whereas in the first half, he was 11 for 14 and looked like he was absolutely unstoppable.
1: You know, I have to give a lot of credit to Dwight Howard. He's been he's been fantastic. In, in every, almost every playoff game for the Houston Rockets, last year, this year, uh, tonight was 8 of 11 from the field, uh, 16 rebounds, 24 points, had four blocks. Granted, his free throw shooting was, was not fantastic. He was 8 of 21 from the line. Uh, but I think overlooked, perhaps, is the fact that he played very disciplined basketball. When he picked up his fourth foul with 7.22 left or so uh, in the third quarter, things didn't look great when you know that foul because you're thinking wow it wasn't a great foul by him and there's plenty of time left he was so critical to the team but he just played his tail off frankly uh, even from that point with the four fouls and and did not uh, run into any issues i think what he did tonight uh, had a huge impact it's
0: interesting how narratives work um, dwight was great last year against portland and he was great against dallas and he's been great the first two games in series, and, I think there was an L.A. Times writer I'm not going to say L.A. Times, sorry, an L.A. writer who made a reference on Twitter that, that Howard was smiling during shootaround today as the team yeah. shot free throws, and that was indicative of him not taking the game seriously. And, you know, these things they, they develop momentum elsewhere and both national media and fans kind of rally behind these these false narratives, and they don't go away quickly. And, and Howard has been an extraordinary postseason performer for this team in the two plus years that he's been here. And I thought tonight, as much as you and I sit sit up there in in Section 106 and concern ourselves with the the bad fouls that Howard takes, he was the exact opposite of that tonight. He got that fourth foul, and he never stopped playing hard, yet he played with a great amount of discipline. And that's not something we talk about a lot with, with Dwight Howard in terms of how he picks up fouls. He deserves so much credit for the way he handled that situation and the leadership he showed on the court for this team. And it should not go understated, and it should not go unrecognized. I thought he was brilliant in how he handled himself within the context of the entire team. And if if the Rockets make a series of this, they fight their way back into it, or something good happens in Game 6 or Game 7 if it goes that long, we all should look back at that moment. seven twenty-two left in the third quarter, him getting his fourth foul, him not exiting the game, and him still busting his up on both ends of the court.
1: Yeah, there were a couple times he was uh, aggressive, and I was was panicky, but... uh... He just did a fantastic job. I've been so impressed with him in the entire playoffs. Um, st- you know, They picked up the defense in the second half. They only gave up 44 points, which is three uh, more points than they gave up in the entire second quarter, the 41. But still, this would have been a different game had it not been for that Austin Rivers play. 37 seconds left. He go- runs out on the break. Uh, granted, Corey Brewer made a play for the ball, and so he had to do a dangerous behind-the-back dribble. Got away from him. He just loses the ball out of bounds. He doesn't lose that ball out of bounds. They score there. They're in a, That's a, almost a two-for-one situation where they're going to get the ball back, and it's a two-point game. That That's a huge play in this game.
0: At the same time, I think the Rockets are going to be smart enough to get the ball to James Harden. And, and make him do something with the basketball. And as you referenced earlier, he was 15 to 15 from the free throw line. He played much better down the stretch than he did previously before coming in late in the third quarter. And I think they find a way to get the free throws necessary. Heck, they got 64 free throw attempts on the night, so yeah. they're going to get some free throw attempts in that spot. And you would hope they're wise enough to make sure that the ball is in Harden's hand, hands, and that he finds a way to either get a basket or get fouled and gets to the line, after think he makes both free throws. But your point is very, very clear. And and Rivers spoke about that, about pushing in that spot because there was a two-for-one opportunity, and the ball happened to find the hands of the wrong guy in terms of ball-handling capability. And that's what gets back to my earlier point about the Rockets grinding out a win without Chris Paul being out there on the floor. That ball clearly is going to be in Paul's hands in yeah. any other circumstance. And
1: that's not happening. And man. he
0: doesn't make that same sort of mistake in that spot. So, you know, as good as the Rockets should feel about their defensive effort their energy, their intensity, their resilience. They have to find a way just to play better from start to finish, offensively and defensively, because the road's going to get that much tougher when, when Paul, whenever Paul returns.
1: Yeah, I think his hamstring's about to heal up <laughs> real, real, quick. quick. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you mentioned the free throw discrepancy, and so did several Clipper players after the game. Blake Griffin, probably the most prominent, uh, made several subtle jabs at the fact that uh, you know that they shot twice as many free throws the Rockets did uh, as did the Clipper. 64 to 32. Uh, and they asked him, and he said, Come on. You know, asked him why that's the case. And he, you know, basically implied that, that uh, it's poor officiating and, and it favored the Rockets. Uh, I was stu- a little stunned by this. I mean, Grant I think the Rockets would, you know, got more calls, but 27 of those free throws were Josh Smith and Dwight Howard. And I don't know how many of those were intentional. I mean, there were intentional fouling in this game. That doesn't uh, explain the entire difference, but a lot of that was in, uh, intentional fouls. And, you know, those are guys that they wanted the line. Dwight Howard and judgment? Either
0: intentional fouls or unintentional intentional fouls. So where
1: they they have no problem with fouling those guys
0: in certain situations because you would rather them take free throws than get a shot at the basket. Look, I I get the frustration, and and it's very knee-jerk to me to kind of look at a stat sheet and say, oh, 32 to 64 free throws, they got all the calls. And, look, Harden was going to be much more aggressive tonight because, as we referenced earlier, DeAndre Jordan was not in the game. And that's why he got to the line 15 times, because he picked and chose the spots a little bit better. And the Clippers, look, they work themselves into a situations where they're making the officials the whistle so often that it lends itself to it being blown even more on, on close calls. You can't dictate the play, the style of play. And then get upset when everybody kind of falls into line in terms of how the game is being played. And that's one of the issues I have with, with hacker whomever, that when you kind of make it a free throw shooting game, it becomes easier for the referees to look for every, every sort of moment of contact and blow a whistle. So the the Clippers are kind of getting what they're asking for by initiating this style of play in terms of fouling Howard, fouling Smith, whatever they have the opportunity, because it lends itself to, again, to all these whistles being blown. Look, this game took forever. It seemed like we were here all night because there were so many free throws, but the the, the Clippers could back out of this and not put Howard on the line 21 times and take their chances with their defense. They're choosing not to do that.
1: Yeah, and DeAndre Jordan shot, I believe, uh, six free throws tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, four for six. Yeah, four for six from the line. So, you know, to me, I didn't, I didn't uh, really see that. I mean, granted, uh, Doc Rivers mentioned that the Rockets shot 117 free throws. That was more, you know, tongue in cheek. He wasn't really making a big deal out of it. Uh, Blake, um, I think Matt Barnes, uh, Jamal Crawford at least mentioned it that that the that they shot twice as many free throws. Trevor Ariza, Terrence Jones both stepped up in the second half. But you know, Jones has just really been a disaster in, in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, you know, We've talked about that in the last podcast. He was awful in the first half. One of five, uh, as mentioned, from the field. Two points, two rebounds, and was just getting lit up like a torch by uh, Blake Griffin. Second half's a different story. Uh, Josh Smith also really has struggled with Blake Griffin. Played almost 17 minutes in the first half. Josh Smith plays less than three minutes in the second half. Terrence Jones wakes up in the second half. How much is that because Jones was playing better or... Are the Rockets kind of, uh, you know, maybe straying away from Smith now?
0: They, they went through a stretch, but they went really small. They took Howard out um, in the fourth quarter and, and played Jones with the five, and I thought it just made sense for them to kind of maintain their small lineup because it had gotten them to a point where they were back in the game. And let's be real, Josh Smith isn't playing very well. And, and when your bench is shortened by not having Patrick Beverly and not having not a small units, you can't afford to run guys out there in a situation like this where they're not playing well. This is two games in a row where Josh Smith has not played very, very well, by and large that Jones kind of had to will himself back into the game on some level. And kudos to him because he was awful, and he found a way to kind of get himself engaged in the second half, and he deserved the minutes that he got. Yeah, it's a struggle for him because Blake Griffin clearly is a much better player. He's much more willful. He's very physical. He's very active. But at least Jones did some things to, to, to bring the fight in the second half that he did not do in the, in the first half. And it seemed like Smith is having a hard time kind of generating the sort of energy on the defensive end to earn the minutes that he needs to stay out there. And, and look, I don't know how the Rockets are going to adjust in Game 3 because the Clippers are going to be much better dealing with that, that small lineup of the double teams than they were tonight. And so there's going to be a secondary adjustment the Rockets need to make in that situation. And, and that's going to call for Josh Smith playing better. He has to play better for them to win this series. That's the absolute truth. Corey Brewer was much better tonight. Pablo Prigioni was fine for, for a long stretch of time. The Rockets got three jump balls in their favor in the fourth quarter. That's all effort and grit and hustle. But those things can only take you so far. You need your players to step up and play well.
1: You know, the Rockets, uh, as a team in, in, in this game, shoot five of 26 from three-point range. They made and two the
0: big ones back-to-back in the fourth oh, yeah, quarter, which is, which is amazing when you think about how awful they were from behind the line. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I have to give uh, a lot of credit to Harden for that driving uh, basket with 111 left. That was huge. Um, but, yeah, this, is, and this has been a problem all year where they have games like this where they just can't buy a three-pointer. And, and they're a team that relies on it. They're just not a very efficient, very good. A very good three-point shooting team, I would say. Um, they go. We're going back to LA. We're going to have a Game Five back here in, in Toyota Center, so we didn't have to say any potential goodbyes to anybody. Um, but going back to LA now, the, the Clippers are 30 and 11 at home. They're, they're probably going to get Chris Paul back for Game Three. And I grant, I mean, the hamstring injuries are tricky. They don't want to, you know, put him in a bad spot where he might re-injure that. But at the same time, now they got to take care of home court. What do you think their chances are? Of the Rockets at least getting one of these games. Here?
0: Well, you referenced the Clippers' home record. The Rockets' road record was very good this year. And and to the other point you were just making, it only takes one game for them to be hot behind a three-point line, and the entire series turns on its ear. And we both know the Rockets are capable of doing that. Look, they get, they easily could have a 15 for 38 game in them, and if they make 15 three pointers, they're going to win the game. And and I understand people. I've made the point earlier that they surrendered 136 points over a 48-minute stretch in this this series the second half of game one the first half of game two they have to be better defensively they were better defensive from the second half now they have to shoot better and the thing with the Rockets is you never know when it's going to come I mean it could easily come in game three it could be the first half of game three where they make eight of 14 three-pointers and they build a big lead and momentum develops and then everybody's hitting three-pointers that's all it takes and they have to get to LA and win one game they can win one game by shooting three-pointers and making them by playing a level of defense for the entire game that they played in the second half tonight. That's all it takes. Regardless of Chris Paul being there, if they play hard defensively, they make three-pointers, they'll still win game in L.A., and then it will be a series again.
1: Yeah, they, Ruckus uh, turned it over 14 times tonight, which is 10 fewer than, the, than game one. One by six points, you can see how uh, turnovers can really kill you. A few more turnovers, they lose this game. Uh, you mentioned the record, so it's interesting the clippers and rockets are both 30 and 11 at home 26 and 15 on the road pretty evenly matched as far as uh, you know how they they performed this season this is this is big i mean i think they're going to i think it's going to haunt them how, not being able to take care of business with chris paul out in in game 1 um, but they needed this game if they lose this game this series is over we're all i mean they may take it to 5 but it's not going mu- you know much farther so uh, this was big. It's a, it's a series now, and uh, we'll see how they do. But uh, it's you know, as James Harden said, they've got their mojo and a little bit of uh, momentum going now. We'll see if that's if that's true. Five of twenty-six for three-point range. I'm not sure they have their mojo, but that's what he did say. Yeah, that's the
0: one thing I'm not buying. I still think that they they escaped this game more so than they wanted, but that's all that matters. You know, they had a twelve-point lead in the fourth quarter. It got down to four with the Clippers having the ball. They hung on for their life, and kudos to them for for, for getting through it. But they have to find a way to shoot better, to defend better, and to get other guys involved, particularly Josh Smith and or Terrence Jones throughout the course of a game. And I'll feel a little bit better about them talking about mojo. I don't think they have their mojo. I think they survived the game and where they were getting blasted in the first half, where the other team didn't have its best player. And the other team was like, you know what, we got our, we got our split, let's go home. Um, the Rockets have to go into L.A. and play with the same level of intensity defensively from
1: start to finish, and
0: still a game there, and then I will, I will pronounce them as a team with having mojo.
1: <laughs> That's M.K. Bauer. You can follow him on, at on Twitter. Thanks again, M.K. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you, Dave.